What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. We're the co-hosts of a podcast called A Thing or Two. It comes out every Monday and the basic premise is this. We share all the stuff we think more people should know about. So that's apps, recipes, books, the nationwide haagen vanilla bean shortage that nobody else was talking about. Our no one. No one. <laughs> our preferred vacuum brands of which we have multiples and critical explorations of our unique approaches to paper towel usage. Listen, we think you're going to like it. A lot of people do. And who's to say you'll be any different? Listen and subscribe wherever it is you listen and subscribe to podcasts. From Sugar 23, I'm Angela Ledgerwood, and this is Lit Up. Now, I met this week's guest, Alyssa Shalaski, through a mutual friend many, many years ago. And she's the type of person that you meet instantly and you want to be sat opposite her at the dinner party or kind of be as close to her in the room as you can. She has this electric kind of luminescence to her and she is the best storyteller. So we are going to talk about her latest collection of personal essays called This Might Be Personal, which chronicles with gusto her affairs of the heart and her unique journey to becoming a mother. Now, Alyssa is also the Sex Diaries columnist at New York Magazine, and she's also starring in and producing the Sex Diaries documentary series on HBO. I hope you love this conversation as much as I did. I don't know if you remember this, but I was, so I was going through kind of an old box of clippings from when I worked at Cosmo and I found and I will send you a picture of it when I when I see it again that you had been a contributor for Cosmo way back when your first book came out Apron Anxiety and I was a junior magazine editor and you know I was given the contributors page to do so I thought it was such a big deal to get to write up you know the three little questions from you. And I think we just emailed, but I found that 
Oh my goodness. I think it might be from 2015. Like how nice back then when those little assignments didn't feel little at all and you were just, you felt so successful and like victorious with like writing a little edit. Or for me at that, probably it was sending in my headshot or writing whatever, answering whatever questions you had. Those things used to just light me up like nothing else. And then you get older and you do more and more of that and you're like, what's going to light me up now? Like what's going to give me that feeling now where I am killing it and living my dream because it's hard as you grow older and you do more to hold on to those moments of like, I I did good. Like this is success. This is everything I hoped my career would turn into. It's really hard for me to find and grasp those moments as I get older. But back then, oh my God, it was all so joyous. Well, actually, this reminds me of a passage in the book that comes quite near the end and you're sitting with your sister. And it's all about this where you're feeling, you know, the TV writing in LA, you can't catch a break. She said to you, but you are successful. You are. Why can't you feel it? So I'm wondering, you know, how are you feeling now? The book's come out, you know, you have an HBO show that's, you know, in the works. What is landing for you? To tell you I think about this question all the time is an understatement, and it's probably something I need to uh, work through in therapy, uh, which, and I don't go to therapy. My Sex Diaries column at New York Magazine, which is very popular, is being turned into a docuseries at HBO, which I helped produce, and I'm in as me doing my job. So that's cool. But as you are alluding to in the book, I have been trying to break into TV writing since my first book came out, which is almost 10 years ago. And I've been on so many great pitches, like in Hollywood, Charlize Theron's company and Margot Robbie's company and like just really dream moments, which there in itself should be like, it can all end right here. Like I, this is great, but it's nearly impossible to get into a writer's room, let alone to like get your own show off the ground and be, be a showrunner or, you know, write your own series. It is so, it is so, so hard. And yet I keep subjecting myself to the impossibility of it all. So I think the answer is actually pretty simple. Like I need to get a fucking show because it's been my goal for so long that, and I won't let it go. I just am like, I'm hooked on it until that happens. I'm just going to feel like I'm still scraping and like crawling and chasing something career-wise that has yet to happen. Beyond that, I do feel successful. This book, the feedback I've received on this book is unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. It's been entirely positive. The emails I get are never-ending daily DMs and emails from strangers and loved ones who were just really touched by it in an authentic way. I was not expecting. I sort of only predicted drama, like, you know, this, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, or this friend's not going to like how she came out in this or whatever. None of that. It has been all love in, in abundance. So yeah, of course that makes me feel very successful, but I am still, I am still striving. I really am. I also think that makes sense. Like, don't you think, I, I saw that Mira Jacob just wrote this article for Harper's Bazaar about the 40s being this amazing decade and why on earth aren't women told that aging 
you know, and being in this amazing decade isn't the most exciting thing. Like, don't you think if we think of, I mean, if we're thinking career-wise specifically, I remember people saying to men, my stepbrothers, you know, your 40s are the most important decade of your career. And I'm like, well, amazing. Like we're just start, we're in it. Yeah. I agree with all of that. It is cool to to see that all my hard work and I've worked hard. I have hustled. I've been a writer since I was 10 years old, basically. And I've never not worked. And I've never, only recently I was like, just for fun, I'm playing a mind game with myself. I'm like, maybe I'll just quit work. And we have this new little house upstate and I'll work on the house. And I was just testing that out. Like, does that does that seem like an attractive lifestyle? And then I was like, oh my God, no, 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 no. I need my, I need to be a writer. I'm a writer and I'm a mother and I'm a friend and I'm a sister and I'm a daughter and I'm Sam's girlfriend and I'm nothing, but that's all I am. And I got to like focus. Those are the only things that matter to me. So it's really cool to be like, I can do a lot of things. Like my hard work has paid off. I can write that cover story for that amazing magazine, or I can interview this big celebrity. I can do almost anything besides get get this TV show, which I will make happen. So it's super empowering. It's super empowering. And also, I love that I am truly, I've always been a little bit of like a rebel and a little bit of a troublemaker, but in my 40s, now more than ever, I truly don't give a shit. Like, I am who I am, love me or leave me, the whole thing. Like, I dare you to judge me, like bring it. And it's really fun. And I love that I have have a son and a daughter, but particularly in front of my daughter, I love that she has a mother who can laugh at herself and who doesn't tolerate any nonsense or, you know, unkindness from anyone. Yeah. And then I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid to fight. I like a little fight. This reminds me, so there was one sentence in your book that I loved so much and I think, well, I definitely responded to it and I think others will too, especially if you're very fortunate to have come from a very supportive family and it is this one, no one in my family pressured me to be anything but myself and I resented them for that. I laughed so much. Oh my God, you found my favorite spots. Like these are, that's, that's one of my favorite lines too. Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse, mostly a ble- 98% a blessing to come from an extremely close family. But there's always a part of me that's like, well, first of all, yes, I wish my mother was like, try harder, push more, you know, like get yourself to LA into a writer's room instead of being like, stay home for us. It's Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> like, I wish I had a mother in a way who was pushing me aggressively, but it really wasn't that. Instead, my parents just aggressively loved us and accepted us. And of course, there's no greater gift than that. My sense is that you might push yourself so hard that they feel they don't have to. That's what they would say, definitely. And I I am. I'm born this way. I'm born very independent. I was born ambitious um, and I was born a writer. So yeah, I guess they never really had to help me like hone in on any of that. But yeah, it's like I look at you or our friend Pippa and people who have been able to like design their lives in other countries with, you know, their chosen family. And there's something so romantic about that to me. And I just, I could never do it. That's off the table. So, but I feel like you tried. 
I try. It was definitely appealing. I mean, you there's that you know a chapter in the book where you go to Italy and you never get off. You know the the guy Scooter who <laughs> helps you with directions. So I feel like we push in all these directions, but this one where you've landed was the right the right one. It did work out that way where I have um, I live my own life in a with a surprising partner, and I had kids my own way, and I I did do things that were right only for me and no one else. Um, but that being said, I could never move from far away from the East Coast where my parents live and my sister lives. And, and, and that's great. It's beautiful. I'm not complaining about it. But, you know, when you're a writer, sometimes it is just like, I want, I think I need to get really weird. Like, I think I need to, you know, move to a cabin in the woods or move to an island where I know no one. And I think I need to get super inspired and scared. Um, and I can do that to an extent, but I do, I am very grounded. And I, again, I come from the, my mother is this huge force who's always sort of pulling me back into her orbit. So I think if I had a slightly more fucked up childhood, maybe my writing would be deeper and darker, but so be it. I'm overloved and <laughs> I come from good people. So what I'm can gonna I do? I'm going to use that. I'm overloved. <laughs> it's so beautiful. But I, I want to rewind and kind of go back to the way you start in the beginning of the book, because I feel that, you know, your desire to be an artist and this idea that we have when we're young and also the kind of cultural cues we get about how to be an artist. And I'm sure I had different ones growing up in Australia. You know, we'd get the New Yorker a month late and I'd read the goings on about town and imagine myself in this place. And I always somehow felt that it would have to be in New York. Mm -hmm. And that was taken from movies and all those things. But for you, what did being an artist look like to you? And how did you kind of push yourself in those early years? Well, I grew up in a preppy town in Massachusetts, Longmeadow, Massachusetts. And we were sort of like the artsy family. In other words, we just weren't Ital we weren't Irish Catholic and we weren't wasps. So we were artsy and <laughs> we were offbeat in a good way. And that that's who I was. I didn't call myself an artist back then. I was always a writer. I, w I wrote for the town newspaper and the city newspaper from the moment I could really craft a small story. And then I knew to your point, I knew I had to come to New York City. I don't know why I knew that. It was the only place I, apply I applied to every college I could, and as long as they were in New York. And I got myself here and my family followed me shortly because we, we all were sort of destined. We, sometimes you're born a New Yorker, even if you're not there. That's what I think. Again, I would identify as maybe edgy or I would identify as kooky. Finally, when I just tried that word on, yeah, okay, I am edgy and kooky or whatever, but I'm also an artist. Like when I just played with it and I said it out loud, it liberated me in such major ways. It just was like, that's it. That's my lifestyle. That's this way of moving through the world that I, that, that like is in my, is in my soul, but I never knew what, it, what to call it. So I'm like, I'm an artist. And even at that point, if I was like, I'm going to go into, I'm going to become a, FBI agent. I'm trying to think. I never wanted to be anything but a writer, so I can't think of, like, even some totally, like, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to be an interior decorator. I'm going to be an FBI agent. 
I still would have been an artist because that's just how I moved through the world. I, it's not about creating art necessarily. It's a lifestyle. It's an open-mindedness and feeling things deeper than the average person. And I, I'll stand by that. And I see that in other people. It has, doesn't matter what their job is. People who feel things deeply, sometimes, you know, painfully deeply, and people who see that in others, to me, that's, you're living an artist's life. It definitely feels so expansive, doesn't it? Like the, the, the boundaries, even hearing you talk about that and when I read it in the book and I thought, you know, why was I drawn to this place? And it was almost to not be confined, feeling like you couldn't breathe if you thought about a certain life or lifestyle and being like, I need to have the ability to do and think more. Totally. You want, it's like, you want to get weird in New York. It's kind of embarrassing. Like the, the fact that I, you know, have a monogamous relationship now with a partner who I hope to grow old and die with is like mortifying. <laughs> I mean, no, it's, a, it's great, but it's like, it's a little bit, you know, I like living on the fringe. You're, you're inspired to live on the edge in New York a little bit more and do things really differently. And I appreciate that. You pick and choose, pick and choose what, what, how you're going to be different. And yeah, New York brings it out in you, at least old New York, as they say, maybe it is changing a bit. Well, also I think it might correspond with age. I mean, your book for lots of us who came to New York to have that kind of fun and to kind of get weird or witness that or be around people so unlike the way we, we grew up. It's such an amazing time to be in your, say, 20s and early 30s when it does feel like you have nothing to lose. And then, I don't know, I'm just grappling with being in a different stage of life but how naturally I'm like, I like flowers. Whoa. <laughs> I, got, I really think I might do a gardening course, you know, and it corresponds. I'm like, is, was this always secretly in me? Is this a product of just a shift that happens in human beings? I think so. I The whole way here, I took the train from upstate and I am using this um, – this like website called Yard Zen where they like design your dream yard. And I, I mean, it was porn. I was like, I was drooling. I didn't even, the two hour ride went back in two, went by in two seconds because I was so fully immersed in my like Tuscan villa meets upstate chic meets, you know, unfussy artists abode, you know, like I was just designing. God, that, if you had told me that it 10 years ago, I, I would have started crying. I think I would have started crying. But we change. And it's great. It's great to evolve. It would be so boring otherwise, you know. But I will say, talking about being in our 20s or 30s and living that life in New York and making your beautiful mistakes, you pay a price. You know what I mean? Like there is, and I, that was a big reason why I wanted to write this book because we talk about my life was very glamorous and still is sometimes, you know, it's interviewing celebrities and so much great travel and fashion and, you know, cool friends, but you pay a price. There's dark sides to partying a lot. You know what I mean? I've lost a lot of friends to addiction and mental health issues. And then there's a chapter in my book where there was, a, I was sexually assaulted and there's, you know, 
moments in life where I was just like all the walls are caving in and what have I done? Like, what, what the fuck have I done making all these crazy decisions? Like, where did it get me? Nowhere. So I wanted to explore all of that. If, if I'm going to be honest, you know, and talk about the life of a free spirited writer, there are a lot of hard days in there. Well, you know, the title that my mom came up with for my memoir for like those years, which hasn't been written and I'm not going to write it, was Going Nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? I mean, we laughed about it, but, but in that way that from the outside, also I think from a parent's perspective who's so far away, they did she there weren't any of the things to hold on to that pegged down a life. Yeah. No belongings, no partner, no children, you know, lots of stories and experiences, but that that was it. Right. For what? I've had those moments. It's like, yeah, all those great stories and you know, drinks with your friends where you're dying laughing and you're the one with like, who has like the most incredible night to retell, like for, for what? Clearly, clearly for a lot, you know, clearly for like. Also for you, the fact that you have this talent for writing and then you're able to distill them down for us in a book, it's made sense. I mean, from the outside, I'm like, well, for Alyssa, for a lot, she's sharing it all. I mean, and then for the rest of us, I'm like, yeah, for me, for what? Yeah, but for a a rich soul, for a beautiful, rich, layered, complicated soul. And I know, I, I know you know and that. And also, but. too, say we're in our forties. Why was it? I mean, it was meant to happen earlier for other people because it was right for them. You know, yeah, I'm just gra- grappling with the kind of trying to make a home acknowledging that the choices I made did not lead me to a 401k or any stability or any way to contribute to my partner in terms of like a down payment on a house or all those things that are really clear for other people because they just started saving with their first job. And I'm like, why was this so elusive for me. And I think it comes back to that quote in the beginning about having such a loving family that accepted me for who I was. And I'm like, that can catch up with you. Absolutely. I have a cousin, I have a lot of cousins, but one of them, she's a pharmacist and she's married to a cop and she's a saver. She's a wonderful mother. She's great at her job. She's responsible. She made all the right decisions. And I went to her house recently uh, in Massachusetts and it's beautiful and her garden is beautiful and her kids are thriving. And I was like, and and she's comfortable financially. And I was like, would it have been so hard to just be normal? It's not so bad. It didn't look so bad to me, quite honestly. It looked lovely, but you know, we, that's not the path I chose. It's not the path you chose. I know. The, I mean, this is the stuff <laughs> that I think about so often. I don't know. I also lived in LA and I remember really clearly having a moment of like a voice saying, you've got to leave now before you get on a track that is going to be wrong or, or you're going to leave it too late. 
Exactly. Don't leave it too late. And for me, that wasn't about that city or this city or elsewhere, but it was something, a clock that was happening that was you have to go get a real job and get this going. Yeah. You have to get commit to a profession and begin, you know, literally at 29. Yeah. That's still young, but no, that's exactly, you brought me back to the thought that had escaped me. So that's, you're so lucky to be able to hear that voice inside and listen to it and act on it and, and have agency. And that to me, that's exactly what happened to me when I was 38 which is a lot older than 29, but I was 38. I had just had like my fifth awful breakup, like just these gut-wrenching breakups that burn your whole life down. You know what I mean? And I, this is in the book, but I looked myself in the mirror and and I said, what do you, like, what do you need to do right now? Like, what do you need to do to get your life on track? Like, what is the answer? And whatever the whatever came to me, I was going to listen to it and run with it and go hard. And it was mother for me. It was motherhood. It was it's time. Don't waste another second. Don't fuck around here. It's time. And that's when I decided to have a baby on my own, which wasn't a hard decision actually, because I never really cared about getting married, and I was already sort of living, you know, unconventionally. But the minute it hit me, I was just like. Thank you, universe, for that answer. And I'm I'm off. I'm off and running. And and I made it happen. I made it happen. In, uh, you know, as quickly as one can when it comes to fertility in your late 30s. But I think that is what makes people like us artists. Honestly, that voice, that trust, and the fearlessness to run with it. And I think too. Isn't the hardest part for for us and so many not knowing what that thing to go for is? I've always felt that that you know when you know you're in a limbo, you know something's not quite right, and you know that in other times of your life you've had an answer, it's come. But sometimes you're there and you're going, "Hello, I need I need a change. I but I don't know what it is." But then once there's something so beautiful about just being like, that's it. I now agree. go for it. Totally. I mean, I, I consider myself a very decisive person. I'm not, I don't get that thing, analysis paralysis or whatever. You know, I don't second guess myself. I'm decisive. But, oh, that is just the worst when you don't know what the answer is and you don't know which way to turn. I'm pretty good. And I advise like my friends to do this is just to like, really have those super blunt conversations with yourself. Like, do I need to leave him? Like, really? Do I? And then, but then it's like executing. It's like that forward motion. You can't get stuck. That's, I, that's to me the worst. Life is so short. I, I hate the idea of being stuck in an unpleasant situation. It's strange because I write the sex diaries column and I write about ethically non-monogamous people and polyamorous people and many, many affairs. And you would assume my love life was a lot more exotic than it is, but it's, I have, I love my partner. Our, Our relationship is not perfect. We are complete opposites and we have some struggles, but I decided not so long ago 
that I really want to make it work. I really do. And I like I had a very straightforward conversation with myself because I could leave. I could leave. Like we're not even married. We have two kids. We are, we come from two very big close families. Like we could pull it off. And then I was like, I'm going to decide to stay. Like to stay with him as long as we can, hopefully to the end of our lives. And when I had that conversation with myself, while giving myself the freedom to say, like, or you can break up with him, or you can, you know, co-parent, or you can have affairs, or you can, you know, whatever. When I made that decision, I I felt like this real sense of enlightenment, not not like, oh, I'm, now I'm in it and for, you know, I'm in it with nowhere to run. It's the exact opposite. I was like, I'm going to stay, we're going to be together. Like, we're going to do this. And I want to make it as beautiful and enchanted as possible. So yeah, those conversations and trusting yourself to me is like, that's, that is the people who struggle and most of our friends and siblings and whatever don't have, a lot of people don't have that. I do. Hopefully you do. And I, I think that's almost like the secret to a happy life. It's also, I love that you say that that was a moment of enlightenment because Obviously, everything you're saying, I'm applying to my own life because we only have our own <laughs> yeah, know, that's what we kind do. of lens to go with. But how interesting, too, once you think, I'm going to see how interesting this can be with, with this person. Yeah. Um, I, I, she won't mind me quoting her, but our, our mutual friend, Pippa, who we love, we have to talk, say her name because she's the whole, she's the root of our love story here. She has such a great quote and I'm sure she got it from Brene Brown or someone she's so, she reads and listens to everything. And it's like, you stay on the bus. Have you heard this in a relationship? Like, has she said it to you? You stay on the bus and the scenery is going to change. And sometimes scenery is going to be luscious and, uh, you know, spectacular and remarkable. And sometimes the scenery is just going to be boring and or depressing or tiring or whatever. But you stay in the bus. And I was like, I fucking love that. I'm staying on the bus. I'm on the bus. Because it has to change. <laughs> it has to. And you have to welcome it. You have to know, like, oh, I'm on, uh, I'm on like, the bus is going down a dreary road right now. <laughs> but it's going to turn the corner and it's going to be sunshine. And have that surprise allow that to come too. I was just thinking about gardens and we have these friends who are garden designers and we go to their beautiful garden on the North Fork. It's unbelievable. Ugh. It's called Landcraft. But what is so breathtaking is the moments of surprise. You know, when you turn a corner and you had no idea and you're just like, oh, they did that, you know, with colors or shapes or, and I think, and this garden changes so much with the season and every time you go, there's surprise and it's the same garden shape mm. of things, but it's changing week to week. And you think if that, you know, two people are in a family with little ones too, like they're growing so fast Everything is changing. Yeah. But I would say with the garden, God, I want to go there, by the way, send me their Instagram page. <laughs> but when you say that the surprise of the garden like touches you and, and light, you know, just makes you feel, I don't know what, I like gives you a sense of a religious experience or whatever. That's you though, too. That's you being open to it. You know, so you should give yourself some credit there. That's you searching for beauty and and letting it in when you see it in in those unexpected 
you know, twists and turns. We can apply, we maybe it's garden eyes or desert eyes mm. to so much. Even just walking down New York City, sometimes I'm like, look up. Yeah, totally. Rem- remember when you came here and how that the steam coming up, you know, was just the thing you would take pictures of or even the crazy hot stinky subway was like this f- like urge of like new crazy amazing things and sometimes it's just more like wake up like you're here I know yeah we were la- uh, last night we put the kids to bed and usually then I go into my little office and I write and he goes to his he's a DP he goes into his room and edits his film and I heard a crazy sound outside and I and I went outside and <laughs> There are two owls who, by the way, owls don't say hoo-hoo. Like owls make crazy screeching like sounds like babies screaming. There are two owls right there, like right there in front of our eyes on a branch. And, you know, we have these fixed ideas of who we are. The Alyssa who I want to say I am would be like, I don't, I don't freaking, I have a deadline. I don't care about these freaking owls. Like I have a deadline. I need some, you know, designer ice cream. And I want to get a good night's sleep because I have to rule the world tomorrow. That's like the Alyssa I I tell myself I am. But I was like, experience this. Get Sam. And I got him outside and we were looking at two hours. By the way, I think they were mating. They were either fighting or effing. But I was like, just let yourself be a person who enjoys watching wildlife (laughs) with, with her boyfriend. Be her. And I like... So and sounds so cheesy, but I leaned into the moment and I'll never forget it. I'll really never forget it. So tell me about the first moment you saw Sam. <laughs> Sam was the perfect first date for me because I had a baby. I had a seven, six month old who my parents were babysitting. I dated while I was pregnant trying to get pregnant, pregnant. And as soon as I had a baby, I went right back to dating because why not? And Sam was one of the first guys I had met online. And, you know, they're never as good as, they're they're always slightly like disappointing in real life and online date. Some of them work out, but like, you know, looks wise, it's always usually just like, all right, well, his, his eyes sparkle more than I thought, but he's, you know, a good foot shorter than he said. Anyway, Sam was hotter and sexier and cooler than anything I could have imagined. So, fine. Well, that's just the superficial aspect of it. So I was just like, oh, wow. And then he was just really chill. He was really chill. I I have a big, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm a lot. And he was, it was a really, he was a really nice compliment to my, my energy. And then this, you know, this is his, I put it in the book so I can talk about it now. But what's so cool was He's so private, but again, it's in the book, Cats Out of the Bag. He told me that he had, he gave sperm. So I had my baby with an anonymous sperm donor. And as it turns out, Sam had donated sperm in college for like beer money, like a lot of sperm donors do. So the same sperm bank I had used for my daughter, Hazel, it was like the whole thing was destigmatized right away. I mean, if a guy had a problem with me having a baby with a sperm donor, we probably wouldn't have made it to a first date anyway and his loss, who cares? But the whole fertility of it all and parenthood of it all was just sort of like no big deal. It didn't, if anything, it enhanced our love story because 
my daughter came on every date from that point on and he very quickly became her father. It's so beautiful. And I was listening to you on Jenny Mullen's podcast. Oh, she's the best. Oh my gosh. That was such a fun <laughs> conversation. And if people haven't listened to it, I'll link to it. But Sam was there as well. He was like, she was beautiful. She was radiant. Mm. Another chapter in the book that was one of my favorites, kind of unexpectedly so, because I related to some all the, you know, the New York stories and the dating. But it was the visit to Maine mm. so soon after you'd met. Can you tell us a bit about, A, you know, why it felt soon for you, but also how you kind of had to soften into the, the generosity of spirit that was coming toward you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Sam comes from a very big family of Mainers and oh God, we had been dating only a few weeks when he invited me and Hazel up to the farm, to his parents' farm. And, you know, I, I was reluctant because here I am bringing a baby like, to meet the family. I, this guy I barely knew. I mean, I, his last name's Russell. I remember on like our, just before we went to Maine, we did a little overnight, a little staycation. And I had a sign a room service thing. And I was like, is it two S's or two L's? And the room service guy's looking at us like, you're here with a baby. Like you don't know how to spell your <laughs> husband's last name, but everything was inside out and upside down. And we go to Maine and, you know, I think that subconsciously he knew I would never fully understand him until I saw where he came from, which is paradise and, and really, really good people. Uh, the best kinds of people that you could ever imagine. But I, but it goes back to what we were saying. I have this fit. We all have this fixed idea of who we are. And I was like, yeah, but I'm an outsider. And like, and, and I'm like a little inappropriate. They're going to hate me. Like, they're going to hate me. They're going to want me out of their house. And they're all, you know, as fate would have it, they're also very attractive people. <laughs> and, um, and, I was, and I was like, and I'm ugly compared to all of them. I mean, all these things that these inner voices. And it took me a minute to settle in and settle those voices and just accept that they loved me. They, they loved me and they loved my daughter and not all people are wired to just criticize. They're wired to love people and accept them and welcome them. And it really was hard for me to believe that that, that, that was my reality. But it once I let myself surrender to just this extraordinary environment that was that is our life in Maine, I I, I realized that maybe I deserve it. You know, like that's. That was a hard conversation to have with myself. Like, maybe I actually deserve brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and niece, extra nieces and extra nephews and this big farm. Like, maybe I'm good enough for this, actually. Wow. I mean, obviously, there's so much personal growth that happens over decades. But also, as a writer, you are interrogating yourself and you don't let yourself off the hook. I mean, I will say... You know, personal growth is this kind of phrase that feels hokey and weird, but in terms of writing about yourself and going back through these essays and being able to be kind to that younger self mm. who liked to blow things up or choose people that were exciting for all the right or wrong reasons, 
how do you feel like Alyssa has just changed for the better? I think the answer is grace and just learning to move through the world with more grace. And I know it does sound like I'm listening to too much Glennon Doyle or uh, Krista Tippett or whatever, but, but it's true. And it's, again, the best thing about being in your 40s, and I assume will only get better, is learning how to handle yourself with poise and to take compliments and to say, yeah, thank Like, I, I know, I'm really happy to be here. And just go with it, you know, rather than just the internal chaos and the negative inner voices. It's sort of a choice. No, I'm going to handle this with grace. Like, I got this. You know, it certainly can be applied to putting a book out there in the world. You can say, like, well, I'm exhausted and this one didn't write about me and these guys put my book in the back and uh, this one didn't come to my party. Or you can just say, like, I'm an author. This is my second book. I wrote this while having two kids at home during a pandemic. I did a really good job. I'm really proud of it. And, you know, I hope you enjoy it. I think that's something my mom always taught me was to be take a compliment mm. because people want to be generous when they give a compliment and there's nothing worse than having it blocked. Ugh. Yeah. Isn't it? And mm -hmm. it kind of, this is another thing with getting older. Sometimes you do have to ask your friends to tell you the brutal truth. You know, I remember when I was having a hard time dating, it was like, I, I was pretty much a serial monogamous, but I, there was a period when I was like in my mid thirties and it just like, it wasn't happening as easily. You know what I mean? Like I used to be able to, I know, knew how to get any guy I wanted, even if it was like, it would inevitably end. But I remember saying to my friend's husband who I loved, I was like, is there something wrong with me? Just tell me. I, I need to know. And he said, if anything, I think you sexualize yourself too much. And it's not a good look at our age. Like you're so much more interesting than the fact that you can talk about sex openly. And it was such a good note. Wow. Of course it stung a little bit because I was just like, oh God, that's embarrassing. I do that. But it was such a good note and it changed. It, it changed how I present myself. I know. I love that note. I know. Because I... I could apply it to myself at a certain time of my life. You know, when you right. have the certain stories, especially when you're single in New York and often your friends, your married friends, you're the one with the crazy stories. Mm -hmm. And totally. it's at a point, it's actually, it's not a good look. No, it's not, a, especially when you have, there's so much more to your life. You have so much more to talk about. I also recently was talking to a producer who I trust, a lot. And, and he said to me, stop being so self-deprecating in these TV pitches. Stop. Like sit up straight and say, damn right, I'm a good writer. Like, damn right. You like my book. Sit up straight, hold your shoulders back. Don't do this neurotic New York self-deprecating, self-loathing writer thing. It's stupid. You know, and it's not you because you know you're good. Anyway, again, stung for a second, but I was just like, I'm a work in progress. Tell me these things and I'm going to change for the better. I think we all need those notes and sometimes we need to give them. <laughs> <laughs> I gave my dad a big note recently when he visited. Like I felt like he needed the parent to be like, this behavior, I need more. Mm. 
I need your attention. I need you to be present. This time is precious. Yeah. Wake up. And it's the first time I've ever done anything like that. But it was so full of love and truth and wanting to connect mm -hmm. that he was able to receive it and act he acted upon it. It was quite a breakthrough. That's incredible. When it goes well, it can be life-changing. But then you meet people who aren't, you know, I, my parents, for example, I think I'm, it's more like you can't ch change your parents. So you got to just change how you react to your parents. But that's very cool that your dad was open to it and, and it worked. Yeah. Well, my last question and me, it naturally came up at the beginning. What lights you up? Um, easy answer. It's my kids. And the reason that I'm saying that, and I'm, not trying to come up with something more creative, is I think that women who are mothers who work shouldn't have to hide that. I'm on this Facebook group with other moms in the Brooklyn neighborhood, and somebody recently wrote in saying, I'm going back to work after maternity leave. Tips on how to avoid talking about my baby and how to avoid, you know, telling my story of my birth story. Let me know. And I you know, because she, I, and I think she says something like, I just want to be taken seriously. I want them to know that I am not changed and I'm still like the big time lawyer that I once was or whatever her job was. And I had such a negative reaction to that. I was like, but you have changed. Like the best thing ever has happened to you. You're, you're smarter and wiser and yeah, maybe you're tired, but like, why do you want to hide that? And also it's such a disservice to working moms because why should we hide that we've had children and our lives have been turned upside down and we cry and we laugh and we feel on all new levels? I also remember being pregnant and going to a meeting to Netflix to sell a TV show. And a friend who worked at more like a corporate gig was just like, you're not, you know, I was just pregnant enough where like, I kind of just, my, my clothes weren't fitting right, but I wasn't obviously showing. She's like, you're not going to tell them, right? Nobody's going to hire somebody who's about to have a baby. And I turned around and I was like, you are so wrong. Like who wouldn't want a woman who's about to have a baby? This is like, I am literally going through the most miraculous thing that a human being can go through. Like who's going to be more like, luminous than me right now. Not to mention there's no one more ambitious than a woman who's about to have a baby because you have to like get it all done before who knows what is about to happen to you. So anyway, I will always put my kids first. I will always take jobs that are well worth leaving them for. I'm not going to pretend I hate leaving my kid. I, I'm not going to pretend that I don't hate leaving my kids. I do. And I, I'm not like I don't know. I'm just not afraid to hide that side of my life from my, the, the story of my career. It's totally enmeshed. So yeah, my kids light me up. And uh, right now it's just the dreams of my Tuscan villa meets chic upstate <laughs> abode. And, and that's enough for me. You know, I, I wrote this book in the pandemic. I said that already, but like, and shot the HBO show. And it was a whirlwind of a few years, as we all know. So I'm in a little bit of like a rest and restore space and I'll know when it's time to rise from that, but it's not quite yet. 
My goodness. Thank you so much for coming and chatting. And I just adored your book. Thank you. Oh my God. Can you just talk to me with your beautiful voice and accent? Just talk. You're like human, human Whoa. Prozac. It's Whoa. really, it's beautiful. Lit Up is a podcast from Sugar23. It's hosted by me, Angela Ledgewood, and is produced by Liam Billingham. Olivia Allmeyer is the marketing and editorial consultant. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Andre Radofsky wrote the theme music. See you in two weeks. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.